Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome into Oklahoma Breakdown, your Crimson and Cream Machine Oklahoma football podcast. I am Matt Ravis along with Jack Shields. How you doing, Jack? Pretty good, man. How are you? Doing good. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, just do at CC Machine. That'll work for all of your uh, OU football, not just OU football, uh, OU basketball, all sorts of sports, but especially right now. It's, yeah. Uh, it's football season. Yeah, all the that's what we're here to talk about. OU football, basketball, hot takes, and bad jokes you can ask for. Yeah, lots of bad jokes for sure. Um, we mentioned this later on in the show with uh, talking with George Stoya, but I did have to laugh at uh, our man Steve Smith calling out Curtis Bolton for his his sleeves. He, that was hilarious. He he has not been specifically told not to criticize attire or to not voice his opinion. I have given him the instruction, <laughs> uh, the very vague instruction, for him to use at his discretion. Not to get bodied on Twitter by OU football players. And I thought I that's thought, not a good look for us. No, it's not. I thought especially Curtis, from Curtis Bolton, who is so likable. And I don't think Curtis was like upset by it. No, I, mean, he had a good I thought response. he thought it was funny. He but was I gracious. Mean, you know, I I would prefer not to get bodied by who is perhaps the most likable player on the roster right now. You know, modern PR though is the fact that all news is good news. And so having uh, ha- having it amplified, I think, is... I suppose. Doing good. Doing good. So, yeah, maybe don't. Maybe do. Who knows? I just thought that was hilarious. So, uh, we'll, we'll do takeaways from UCLA before we get into Iowa State games. So, yeah, first impressions. What Right off the bat, uh, what did you like? What did you not like from the Sooners on last Saturday? Well, obviously, the defense looked fantastic once again. I mean, I... Th- How about that? Yeah, I mean... I mean, Mike Stoops, you know, he continues to push the right buttons with the more, you know, aggressive scheme, which is definitely refreshing after the past two seasons. I mean, obviously, it's due to him being a lot more confident in his personnel, which it seems justified at this point. His linebackers are night and day better than they were a year ago. I mean, Emmanuel Beal was good a year ago, but I feel like Bolton's a definite upgrade at the will. Then you have, you know, Kenneth Murray, who's a year older and a year wiser. He, you know, he shouldn't have been in the position to where he had to be this program's middle linebacker as a true freshman. That's the the Mike linebacker. I mean, that's essentially the quarterback of the defense. I mean, that was that was a lot for him to take on. And now that he has a whole offseason under his belt and a lot of time to reflect, a lot of time to prepare, a lot of time to uh, sharpen his game. Obviously, you're starting to see the results, and you saw it against UCLA. He was he, he was playing like his hair was on fire. He was fantastic. He was everything that you hoped he would be coming into this season. 
And, you know, the front seven, I mean, in general, has been outstanding, or front six, depending on the formation. But, and, you know, the young secondary obviously continues to get high marks. Justin Broyles looks like an outstanding player. He, he's surpassed my expectations. He's been fantastic. You know, Buki, he's, he's looked good, but he hasn't quite had, I guess, the huge impact play yet that we were expecting, and I think we'll probably see it this week against Iowa State. That's what I'm banking on. I think maybe he, uh, maybe he gets a pick or forces a fumble or something like that. But you can tell the gravity. Like, they're kind of scared to go to his side. Oh, it, totally. It seems like it. So even that effect is big time. And then, uh, you know, about the pass rush, it's amazing how your pass rush can make your secondary look better. It, it, you don't typically think about know. those things as linked together, but if OU had gotten any semblance of a pass rush um, the past few years, defense would have looked light years better. So um, it is interesting. I want to know, are you worried that Iowa State, and not just them, other teams going forward, uh, you know, you think of a defensive savvy team in TCU, can use that aggression against OU? I think potentially, but I, I think the the net positive is still there. I mean, when a player, when a quarterback has, you know, however many seconds to uh, sit back in the pocket. I mean, you know, you see it on our side with Kyler Murray, Oklahoma's offensive line. When, it, you know, when the team you're playing against doesn't have a chance to, uh, you know, rattle the quarterback. In Oklahoma's case, it's because the offensive line is so good. But, you know, my, Kyler, you know, you see him back in the pocket. He's able to be confident. He's able to just pick people apart. And, you know defensive backs can't cover for that long and you know Kyler's got all day to do it and so you know if you don't if you're not you know by whichever means or for whichever reason if you're not getting a good pass rush then bad things are going to happen to you I mean so I, I think even if teams you know find a way to exploit it I think the net positive is still there yeah and I mean I just don't think that those there. I'm not scared of any quarterbacks in the Big 12. Will Greer. Not this year. Will Greer, Will Greer is Greer arguably the best quarterback in the nation right now. Yeah. Um, and I I mean, he doesn't necessarily move. He's a fine quarterback, I think. He, I, I think he's great. Yeah, he will, he, He'll but, do I mean, great for West OU Virginia. OU isn't going to have to face him until the day after Thanksgiving. So, I mean. In terms of just that top-tier talent, it just doesn't seem like it's there. So, uh, this is a good year for OU's defense, I think, in, in, in terms of that. Um, looking ahead, Iowa State, uh, Ames, early game. So I think that those are two positive things, right? I mean, it's not a late game on a Thursday night or even a late game in general. That's when things can get kind of weird in Ames, it seems like. See, I love the 11 a.m. game when it's not Norman. Yeah, that's, that's how it works. I mean, it doesn't impact my tailgating. Oh, I love know, the 11 a.m. games, period. I'm worried about later in the season. Their fan base doesn't have the uh, opportunity to tailgate as much, so they're not going to be as juiced up. So, Well, I mean, what, and we're, we're gonna, like I said, we're going to talk to George Stoy later about this. Um, what's your level of concern what is maybe one or two specific things you're worried about, you're concerned about going into this game? Well, I mean, one thing is something that you sort of saw with Iowa State's defense last year is they sort of, with that three-three-five, and they don't exclusively run a three-three-five, but you, they're sort of able to, uh, I guess, limit the big play. And when you limit, you're, if you're able to limit, that's a big if, if you're able to limit the big play with Oklahoma, which Oklahoma ranks up pretty high in, uh, I think, 44, plus yard plays this year but uh if they are able to limit it you kind of throw the offense out of rhythm a little bit and whenever you have longer drives with more plays that's more opportunities to turn the ball over and stuff like that so while I don't think it is going to really come into play this week because I think Oklahoma is going to come out and ball out so I think Kyler Murray's gonna 
sort of make those that team pay up for playing the three three five and dropping that many people back, and he's probably going to have a big game running the ball. But uh, other than that, I'm trying to think, you you said two things, right? I'm trying to I, think of a second yeah, thing. Yeah, uh, I, I'm just like anything you want to feel concerned uh, about. I, I'm not. I mean, <laughs> if you don't have two th- things, I mean, to there's. I'm trying to yeah exactly. I mean, I honestly I'm not concerned about OU's defense in this game at all despite, you know, Montgomery the uh, running back being, you know, a phenomenal talent. Their offensive line is not as good this year. They might not have Kyle Kemp. They don't have Alan Lazard anymore. Granted, they do have a very very athletic receiver. Who, is that uh, Bellin doesn't scare you though for quarterback position? No, I'm no. Just, absolutely I'm just being totally <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely just, not. That name alone. I mean, Iowa's defense is good, but I mean, I don't I, th- I think OU's defense could even potentially do better. I do think that, you know, maybe Iowa State can score some garbage time points. That's why I've got it at 45-17. I think maybe they'll score a late touchdown or two. But, you know, I'm, I maybe I should be more concerned, but I'm not. I'm not concerned at all. I mean, you can – I mean, after an upset like that, you know, I, I think I said this when George was on, and listeners will hear this in a bit because we already recorded it, but – you know, a pissed off OU tends to not lose football games. Yeah, at, le- at least in conference play against inferior competition. I mean, it's you know, I Iowa State just doesn't have the horses to hang with OU. So there you go. Uh, and and I guess I, I mean to people listening, we may be even burying the lead here, but we got to address it. Um, the Rodney Anderson injury and uh, out for the season. Um, where do you see this running back core going? Uh, and just how big of an impact is it? Because I see people kind of sweeping this under the rug. I don't think it's any normal loss. I mean, Rodney Anderson oh, no, was it's one not of the a best normal players loss. in all of college football second half of the year last year. Oh yeah, no, he he's you know he was arguably you know I, I would I think he's the most talented running back in all of college football, and it, you know it's that's obviously no small loss. And he was, I suppose, OU's home run hitter in the backfield as well. So that and he's that, never like doesn't fumble the ball. He does he does not fumble the football. That's another thing. You know, Sermon has fumbled it a few times. We still, you know, jury's still out on the other guys. But, uh, you know, I think we'll see, you know, and Riley said this on Monday, you're going to see more of a uh, committee slash hot hand approach, sort of like what you saw from this uh, backfield in the first, you know, few games, which I think at the time was a very good approach. So, you know, if someone separates himself, kind of like, you know, Anderson and Sermon did last year, then – so be it. You know, the cream will rise to the top. But for the time being, you know, you've got four guys who have the potential to be very productive backs in this league. So, you know, I, I'm confident in Trey Sermon. He's, you know, a very patient back who is, uh, you know, also, also very powerful, someone who can get you yardage in short yardage situations and someone who is, uh, you know, good at the little things as well, a lot better than he was last year now that he's a sophomore and uh, pretty good in the passing game. And then you have Marcellus Sutton, who uh, I think is probably going to lead the team in rushing this year, honestly. He's uh, you know, a great north-south runner. He's not the biggest guy, but he's really stout, and he's got good wiggle, and he, you know, he's got a good burst to him. So I, I, I don't think you're going to have a guy who's going to rush for, say, 1,500 yards or anything like that this year, but I think... You know, Sutton could reach a thousand. I think Sermon could reach a thousand. I think Pledger could get a good chunk. I think you know, Kennedy Brooks can get a good chunk. Kennedy Brooks is, you know, he we haven't seen too much of him other than that, 
wide open touchdown he had against FAU. But uh, you know, I'm I'm you know obviously use, losing a guy like Anderson who I think is. You know, he and Joe Mixon are probably the most complete, and obviously also uh, DeMarco Murray, I guess. The, the, you know, the most complete back in the history of this program. I mean, Rodney could do it all, and he was a freak athlete as well. So that his loss can't be overstated, but at the same time, this offense can still be dominant, and all of the goals are still ahead of this team. I think that he should have left after last season. I think he should. I mean, gone. he he didn't have that much tape you know I mean I you know I feel like if he had stayed healthy this year and done his thing he could have been a you know kind of he could have gone somewhere close to where you know Saquon Barkley went so yeah you know it's maybe not quite that high I mean two two is really high for a running back I I think think. he would have been a I think he would have been a first round pick if he had stayed healthy this year I I think he would have the way he was looking he was going to run for a lot of yardage and get a lot of publicity and get plenty of pro attention so I, I I it's it's easy to say that in hindsight but you know I, I and also I I think for the future he's such a good you know he's he's a seasoned rehabber and he's a great athlete who can rehab really quickly or not quickly necessarily but rehab really well it's so, so unfortunate that you can say that though he's a seasoned oh, oh exactly yeah it's the third time in four seasons that he's had a season-ending injury that is horrible horrible luck and you know, it's three different injuries. It's not like he keeps blowing out the same knee or anything like that. So, you know, it's just horrible luck, essentially. So, All right, and one final thing before we move on to George Stoya, Levi Stevenson. Uh, we, we talked to them, uh, one OU correspondent, one Iowa State correspondent. That's usually how we do it each show. Uh, but one final thing, how was your weekend, Jack? My weekend was all right. You know, it's – I spent the uh, – most of Saturday, feeling like I had been hit by a train because I was, I made the brilliant decision to have nothing to eat on Friday but a cup of gumbo and then go to Oktoberfest at Fassler Hall and drink a bunch of liters of beer without anything to, you know, cushion the blow. Nice. So basically the next morning I wake up feeling like death, just violently hungover. You know, I try every method that I've talked about to cure this. I, I, I do the Pedialyte. I do my CBD gummies that I buy. You know, I try drinking more. Nothing works. So my Saturday was a spent – I mean, I, I enjoyed watching the game and all that, but it was uh, – you know, it, was, it I, I felt like a wreck the entire time. So that's essentially my weekend. It was to the point where I felt hungover on Sunday too. I mean, it's one of those. When you, Matt, how old are you? 25. Okay, I'm 29. So the further you get into your 20s, you will uh, begin to realize that your body starts to defy what you try to do with alcohol. Oh, I'm already there. Yeah, it it, it tells you, it starts saying, hey, you've been making bad decisions for too long. And so now we're going to basically go on strike until you get your act together. So now every time you drink a lot, you're going to be hung over for like 36 hours. It's really, it's a brutal part of your late 20s and early 30s. It's it's tough. So on that note, how was your weekend, Matt? Uh, every time you ask me this, my answer is going to be the same. I worked and I worked and I worked some more. So it was all right as far as work goes. I mean, it could be worse. Um 
you know, it, it's, it's all adjacent to sports. It's all adjacent to football, you know, producing our pre- and post-game stuff at the franchise, um, doing a show on Sunday, writing as well, just stuff like that. So it's pretty much on my weekends. I don't, I, I don't even – this time of year, starting in August through – or I guess really September through June – uh, hopefully so if the Thunder are still playing by then. Uh, I don't I don't really get weekends. Yeah, and speaking of which, you know, a lot of your work revolves around the Thunder, and obviously there was news that we record this on Thursday. Obviously news came out or Wednesday. Or Wednesday, actually, yeah, sorry. We usually do Thursday. But anyway, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook had a seemingly a minor procedure a on knee his scope. knee. Yeah, knee scope. So it, what's is there any level of concern there for you, or should there be I mean, for Thunder fans? Yeah, there should be a level of concern because um, he's missing part of training camp, or he's missing all of training camp. He's missing all the preseason. And I understand wanting to rest him, but I think training camp is a valuable time uh, in, in terms of just getting more cohesive as a group. You know, they're adding Dennis Schroeder in there. Uh, I don't know how he's going to fit in. I didn't know if there were going to be times where he and Russell Westbrook are going to be on the court together. You have to imagine. You would Billy, imagine so. I mean, just to, based to, on the past. You have to I imagine mean. Billy Donovan's going to try that, and those reps in training camp are very valuable. You saw it last year with Carmelo Anthony. He came in um, the day before the day before training camp, and they never ever were able to figure it out because they had a plan. Can't even kind of crash it. So I'm. It, there is worry. Ideally, they would have done it earlier in the summer. So there had to be some kind of unanticipated. I don't want to call it a setback, really, but that's the knee that he had three surgeries on in 2013. I believe he was experiencing some swelling yeah. in the past week, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Yeah, that's what I mean. Usually, a knee scope, if you don't know, it's a very minor, uh, not very invasive surgery, uh, usually just to go in there and clear out some gunk or whatever they need to do, maybe r- remove a little bit of the tissue. But put this take out there earlier. I don't think people are going to like it very much, but I think Russell Westbrook needs to limit his dunking. I really do. Wow. Because that's. Uh, <laughs> It's so hard on your knees, and Rajon Rondo is a guy who actually made a commitment uh, about six years into his career never to dunk. He said he wasn't ever going to do it. It's too hard on his knees. And not going to happen with worked Russ, out. Well, I know it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not, but a layup counts the same. It counts the exact same. It counts for two points. So uh, I, I'm not going to be the person to tell Russell Westbrook not to dunk. I don't know who that person is, but um, that's just kind of the guy he is. He's very athletic. He uses that athleticism. and So, yeah, there is a level of concern. Definitely. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm a little floored by that take. I'm not going to lie. It, I mean, I, it makes sense from a health perspective. I mean, he's going to be 30 it, years old this year. That's kind of the age where you start to see that stuff crop up. And uh, Dwayne Wade, for example, I I don't think he ever handled that very well. I don't think he modified his game enough. I mean, he's effective enough. Um, yeah. But you didn't see him uh, carry it late into his career like Kobe Bryant did, for example. He was able to add that stuff to his game. I don't know if that's there for Russell Westbrook. Uh, if his if his knees are gonna go, he needs to become a much better shooter. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I feel you there. But like I said, yeah, it, it's in his DNA to sort of attack, attack, attack. He's never so gonna it, not he, dunk. He's, he's gonna if he hears this, he's gonna dunk even more. He's not gonna hear this, obviously. He's gonna dunk on me. He's gonna dunk just. He's gonna dunk on you metaphorically and literally. So he has there before you go. asking him. I've asked him. Been in that locker room, and it's kind of a rite of passage, I think, having Russell Westbrook sneer at you for a question. So metaphorically, he's already dunked on. I before. feel like that would like just kill me inside. For, I mean, if you're if you live in Oklahoma City, you grew. I mean, I didn't grow up with this team. Obviously, they came when I was in college. But you know, for a guy who holds that stature in the state of Oklahoma and in Oklahoma City to 
I guess, respond negatively to there one was, of your there questions. Was one year I mean, where KD, that would kill me. Like, there was one year when KD was here, and, and he and Russ just came back from one season, and I think they just decided together that they weren't going to deal with the media well. Uh, and ever since then, they both both of them have super, I mean, definitely mistrusted uh, our types being in the locker room. So that's okay. I mean, everybody's just got everybody's got a job to do. Everybody's trying to get a quote, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So they don't really understand that. That's fine. Mm. Oh, well. Like I said, it's a rite of passage getting dunked on by Russell Westbrook, Metaphor- metaphorically, and I've definitely gotten that sneer from him. But anyway, that's our uh, three minutes of Thunder Talk or whatever that was. Yeah, we'll try to do that time. every week just because there's so much crossover between the fan oh, bases. I love we'll it. mention the Thunder a little Training bit. Training camp is coming up. Media day is coming up. It's coming up very fast. I feel like it's. Too, I'm in football mode right now, and I, that's why I'm not really tripping about this Russell thing. I just I can't handle thunder paranoia right now as football season is going into full yeah. swing. There's no so. guarantee he'll be. It's going to happen, opener. but you know, it's. I don't know. There's no guarantee he'll be back by the season opener against Golden State. I feel like with Golden State, he might force it though. I mean, <laughs> I feel like there's and no way he's going to. Could be bad. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I I feel like there's no way that he doesn't i mean obviously if the doctors tell him that he shouldn't then he won't but you know it's i feel like there i mean it would be a very russell thing to do and there are degrees to injury right especially knee injuries yeah you could like you always hear guys say i could have gone if it were a playoff game but yeah i I don't think he'll rush it but you know i don't know with golden state i don't know that that's that's kind of a big one for him (laughs) it is that'll be a good i think that's october 16th yeah that's it so about a month from now, if you are listening to the podcast ahead of the uh, Iowa State game, it'll be Thunder season. But for now, still uh, football territory, uh, and we have a couple of great conversations coming up for you. Uh, George Stoya of the OU Daily, you may know him from the excellent Buki piece that he wrote. Uh, we talked about that a little bit. Also talk about his Frank Beamer piece he wrote for OUDaily.com. Um, and then Levi Stevenson, uh, we had a very good, very long conversation, but it was, it was definitely good uh, about Iowa State football. I mean... What topics did we not touch on? We we touched on the entire history of Iowa State football. Mm-hmm. I think everyone on their roster, every bar in Ames, every we touched on Larry Eustachy. I mean, we 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 we. There, no, I think the only thing we didn't mention, actually, he did mention Marcus Pfizer and Jamal Tinsley. So we basically have covered every Iowa State thing ever. I we mean, hit it all. Levi is a really funny dude. You definitely want to stick around for that conversation. Um, and then, of course, we'll put a bow on it at the end. Uh, but for now, coming up next is George Stoya from the OU Daily. We are talking now with George Stoya. Uh, the third sports editor of the OU Daily also uh, writes for football there. Uh, George, how are you doing today? I'm good. I actually just got done recording my own podcast, so I'm just uh, yeah. Doing all the I saw all the, talking with uh, Joe Washington. Yeah, how was no, that? it's a funny story. I I met Joe when I was a kid, and my dad played football at OU, so I've just always known Joe um, from when I met him when I was a kid, and so I ended up texting him. I was like, "Hey, you want to come on the the podcast?" And he's like, "As long as I get a chili dog, I'm in." So. <laughs> He was great. That's a that's a pretty low price. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I said. So. That's about my standard too. <laughs> yeah, Diamond Dogs is great. But uh, so let's uh, start off this podcast on a very serious note. Uh, what is your favorite 
OU-related conspiracy theory? You know, I I was thinking of I have a few, honestly. Um, but obviously, I think there's always been a conspiracy since Bob Stoops retired that something went on or like he was sick or something. So that one's always interesting because I I don't believe that at all. But the one I'll pick is uh, the mascot, the dog. Do you guys remember the dog? Yeah, Max. Max. Yeah. Apparently, it's like when it died, they buried it underneath the field um, somewhere. And so somewhere in the stadium, I believe, I want to say it's like the Northeast Tunnel is where they buried it. The Roughnecks know that there's a story, and I've been trying to, to kind of figure it out. Maybe I'll write it sometime. But the Roughnecks are the only ones that know where it was buried. Um, and it's like a long legend that it was buried like in the Northeast Tunnel. So I, I, I want to know, you know, where they bury the, the the horses when they die because you know oh yeah boomer and sooner die you know horses yeah die, they do you know i, think I don't like to think about it. no they don't some yeah, of you fans die. probably don't think they die so um i'd like to know where they they're buried but i also want to know where max was buried so i think that's the biggest conspiracy theory is that max was buried in the stadium which who knows i mean the only people that know are the roughnecks and i don't know if you guys have ever met the roughnecks but they're they're quite a weird bunch so they might just be making that up yeah, you never know. I, I always heard that it was buried at the Kappa Sig house, like in the backyard, which uh, I don't know how the much Kappa truth there Sig is to house. that. Sig yeah, That's yeah, as, as odd as that is. But uh, anyway, switching to uh, – I, I, I will say, though, my favorite conspiracy theory is something recent. And, it's, and I don't necessarily believe this, but I feel like I live my life as if I do believe this. But my favorite is that David Boren – built those dorms on Lindsay Street like Gryffindor and Hufflepuff or whatever they're called and did that just to kill tailgating on Lindsay Street. It's ridiculous and there's no way it's true but I kind of enjoy Man, it. Man, it, it might be true. I, I think we were actually the ones last year. I remember when that went down and uh, they had tweeted out a link to all the game day stuff and it was like very deep that you couldn't tailgate there anymore and I remember finding the map and tweeting it out that you can't tailgate on Lindsay but David Bourne did not – I mean, he was not a big fan of drinking, which is one reason why there hasn't been alcohol sold at games, uh, which I think will, you know, change pretty soon. Um, from I'm thinking any, 2019, any, yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking next year might be the first year we see it. So, uh, But, no, I, that's a good one. I never really thought about that one. I've heard that one, uh, but I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it's, it's an entertaining one for me, and I kind of uh... – Oh no, I enjoy that one. But anyway, switching to football, a lot of good defensive performances over the first two games. But who has impressed you the most on that side of the ball? I think it's got. I mean, there, there's there is a lot, like you mentioned. But I think for me and probably just about everybody else, it's got to be Curtis Bolton. I mean, all summer we heard about how Caleb Kelly was going to make make the move, and everybody's like, "Can he make? You know, is he going to transition and this and that?" And will this help OU's you know defense? And then all of a sudden, Curtis Bolton comes out of nowhere. And they're like, yeah, Curtis Bolton's fighting against Caleb Kelly. And I think everybody, until, you know, the first game, or that first Saturday against Florida Atlantic, thought Caleb Kelly would be the one running out there with the first team, and it was Curtis. And so I'd, I'd have to say Curtis, he's become one of the best interviews on the team. I think he's a, a true vocal leader for this team. Um, we saw him play a lot against, you know, UCLA. I, they, you know, Mike Stoops has been talking about how they're going to rotate him, but Curtis Bolton took about 75, 80% of the snaps against UCLA besides the, you know, cleanup time. And, I mean, he gets to the quarterback. He's easily one of their best pass rushers, if not their best. And then he's a good tackler. He's smart. He's been in the system for, what, five years now? Um, you can tell he's a veteran. 
I, it has to be Curtis Bolton because I don't think anybody expected that. And obviously, Buki's played great, but I think we all expected Buki to play great. Justin Brawls has been phenomenal. Uh, I think Kenneth Murray looks like he's more comfortable, but no one, I mean, and, and I mean, no one was really talking about Curtis Bolton all summer. Um, and so I think I have to go with Bolton here. I mean, he, he looked phenomenal against um, uh, UCLA and Florida Atlantic. So I, I, I have to roll with him. Yeah, Bolton's been fantastic, and I hope he forgives Crimson and Cream Machine for the uh, tweet that was sent out on Saturday. Uh, our guy, Steve Smith, uh, decided that it was fitting to criticize his wearing of the baggy sleeves under his uniform, <laughs> and he clapped back at us and made us look stupid. He bodied us, frankly. So hopefully he forgives us. But anyway, that. you never want to get bodied on Twitter. It's like my absolutely one, not, especially by a player who's as well liked as Curtis Bolton. Not that's not fun at all. But anyway, <laughs> Steve has been spoken to about that and won't be criticizing attire anymore henceforth. But anyway, where's the freedom of expression here? Come on, yeah, I mean, don't still, censor him. Don't I censor him. He just expressed his opinion. I suppose so. But I'll, I'll just, I'm just instructing him not to get bodied on Twitter anymore. What, and he can interpret that hell out of I hope he Curtis pleases. is listening to this, and he's just like, he, I, yeah, yeah. I hate these guys. <laughs> I hope so, but, uh, you know, uh, anyway, of all the players who haven't really had a standout performance up to this point through two games, uh, who do you expect to break out against Iowa State? Well, I mean, the running backs all have an opportunity to um I, I think that's very clear and i'm sure we'll get into that a little bit with you know rodney going down um so i'll, I'll go with maybe uh tj pledger and, and i know we're gonna talk about him a little bit later but uh i think he's one of the better running backs i i, I think sermon's really good um he does some special things but i think as an all-around back it's got to be pledger uh, i don't think we've seen that much of him uh, i think just about every running back has scored except for maybe pledger i can't remember if he scored in that florida atlantic game and he was the only running back who didn't, if I remember correctly. Right, I don't think he scored yet out of all the running backs. So uh, I think Pleasure's a guy that could stand out, at least offensively. Uh, defensively, man, that's tough. You know, I I don't want to say Buki just because I think he's played well, but I think, you know, he had such high expectations coming into the season. I think people, maybe too high of expectations, were like, you know, can he get a pick in the first game? He's going to have, you know, six interceptions this season. So maybe Buki on the defensive side um, could really stand out. But, you, I mean – it's always hard to predict those things because it seems like every year somebody always, you know, it was last year's probably Marquise Brown um, came out of nowhere and Rodney, you know, Rodney you know, didn't play in the first four games basically. Um, and so they always have this guy that, that kind of uh, breaks out, like you said, and it's hard to predict that, but um, I think Pledger's a guy that could do that. Um, I think I don't, I hate calling Buki a breakout guy, but I think he's going to be a difference maker eventually um, on the defensive side of the ball. So I'll say uh, Buki on defense and uh, Pledger on offense. By the way, read George's uh, Buki profile on OUDaily.com. Uh, he did an excellent job there. And you, you kind of mentioned this. I might as well get right into it. Uh, you think Pledger is the guy, you think that he is going to get the most yards against Iowa State on Sunday? Or do you, do you think uh, Sermon or Sutton have a chance to get that? Man, that's a tough question. Because I, I think, I think obviously, Sermon's going to be the guy we see the most. Um, so it would be hard to say he doesn't have the most yards. But I think by the end of the season, Pledger might be their leading rusher. I think he, just from the flashes that we've seen, he seems to have, which is interesting because he hasn't scored out of all of them, I think he has the, the most tools. Um, and, and I think Lincoln's in a position where everybody's wondering if it's going to be by committee. And I think it will be to start a little bit, but then they're going to ride who's hot, kind of like they did last year where Sermon came in and he was hot early in the season, but then Rodney came in and he was just spectacular. 
Um, I think it's going to be kind of similar to that. I think Sermon's going to get a lot of the carries these first few games. And then I think we're going to see Pledger make some big-time plays and get a lot of the playing time. And I think Sutton will rotate in there. I think I, I saw some good things from Sutton, um, you know, in the last game. And last year I referred to him kind of like a Roy Finch, uh, kind of jittery small guy. But I think he's better than Finch in the fact that he runs a lot harder um, he is shifty, but he's also smart. I feel like Finch a lot of times was just making all these jump cuts for no reason and doing all these weird things. And really, Finch didn't get the ball enough. Uh, but that's a whole, I'm getting off topic here. But uh, um, and, but anyways, Sutton. I think Sutton will be in there. But I think it's going to come down to Sermon and Pledger. Um, at, at least you know by the end of the season, I think Pledger might be their guy. Um, and maybe that's a hot take. I don't know. He's a true freshman. But from what I've seen out of him, he seems to have the speed. Uh, he can break tackles. He can jump cut. He can juke. Um, and I mean, and for he seems like a small guy, but he's a, he's bigger than you think when you when you see him in person. So um, I'd have to roll with Pledger, um, not for the Iowa State game, but maybe for the season. I'll say Sermon for the Iowa State game. I think he's just going to get all the carries. Uh, I mean, hell, it might be Kyler Murray for all we know. He was yeah. That, that's actually my prediction is Kyler Murray just for this game. But yeah, just could because I think they're going to spread out the carries so much, but. You know, we'll see. Yeah, but you've heard it here first. Uh, George Stoya predicting TJ Pledger to lead the Oklahoma Sooners in rushing this season. It's off the record. It's off the record. Don't quote me. Off the record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that doesn't mean anything. Exactly. But uh, yeah, no, I think I, I just I don't know. He was highly recruited. Um, he he just I think he's shown me the most. Uh, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. And another guy's Kennedy Brooks. Um, and I might be a little partial because uh, when I was a SGL for Camp Crimson. Kennedy was actually my camper. Uh, that's a fun story. Oh, okay. So I, I know Kennedy pretty well, um, and he's a good kid. And I, I think he it just hasn't clicked for him yet. Um, so I think he's a guy that we're also going to see touch the ball a little bit. He, I mean, the first time he touched it, I believe this season he took it about forty yards to the to the end zone. Of course, it looked like I could have scored on that play, um, or at least gotten fifteen yards or something. Like, I'm not very fast, but. I probably could have gotten some yards because the hole was so big. But I think we're going to see all four definitely start the season, but um, I think Pledger might end up being their guy. So that's your hot take of the week. There we go. Well, switching over to defense, you know, this, you know, speaking about Mike Stoops, you know, over the summer, that was the topic that I sort of dreaded the most. But now, you know, it's a little more intriguing. You know, it's, you know, he's clearly been a lot more aggressive with his calls through these first two games. And, you know, in spite of, and a lot of that, of course, has to do with the uh, his confidence and his personnel. But, you know, in spite of having a bit less talent on that side in previous seasons as opposed to this season, do you think that he was a little too cautious in the past? You know, I've always been one that um, I know, and OU fans are going to hate me for this, but I've never been one that thought, you know, Stoops was completely at fault. I, of course, I think there was times that he made mistakes. Um, but there was a lot of times, at least last year, that players were in positions to make plays, and he had called the right play calls, and guys just didn't make plays. I mean, Jordan Thomas, you, you look back to the Iowa State game last year, Jordan Thomas is in good position to make that play at the end of the game that Iowa State took the lead. Um, I believe it was Lazard that caught the ball. And if he just turns his head around, he bats the ball down, and OU probably wins that game. I mean, it's stuff like that 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 you can't blame that on Mike Stoops. And so, to answer your question, is if he was a little too cautious, I think a little bit at times. 
Um, but I also think he's more comfortable with his personnel this year. I think he realizes there's a lot of young, talented guys, and he's going to um, – and this is so cheesy. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but he's more willing to risk it to get the biscuit, as my grandma would always say, uh, risk it to get the biscuit. So I think he's I think he's more comfortable with the guys he's got. I, I think he knows Kenneth Murray. Last year, I believe, he was really cautious with him, um, and I think rightfully so. I mean, you're throwing a true freshman in there that's never played middle linebacker and you're asking him to do all these things. Then you have Emmanuel Bill, who, who played well, but, I mean, he's not going to be a big playmaker. And, and then you have Jordan Thomas, who's just super unreliable. I think he's confident in his corners, which really helps this year. I think he's very confident in Parnell Motley. And then you have the two trays, Norwood and Brown. I mean, when was the last time OU could rotate corners like that? I mean, they were rotating guys at the corner position on Saturday. I've never seen that before, at least not in the last, you know, 10 years with OU. So, um, I think he's super comfortable with his personnel, and it also helps the defensive line has just been phenomenal. I mean, they've got the most depth they've had in forever with Neville Gallimore, Monty Blutso. Obviously, Marquise Overton just had surgery, but, you know, Tyree Slott, Dylan Fumatu, Ronnie Perkins has been unbelievable. Um, I think he just feels a lot more comfortable. Um, and so that's why you see him blitzing Bolton, who's, I think, their best pass rusher. He's blitzing Murray. Um, he's doing all these different things. And if you look at the corners, he's more confident in them as they, you know, it, it was always the old saying that they were like 15, 20 yards off the receivers and people just nickel and dime it down um, OU's throat. And they're not like that anymore. I mean, they're still backing up a little bit, but, you know, it's no more than five to 10 yards. Um, and it was like 15. I mean, it was ridiculous sometimes how far off the ball they were. The 2014 uh, Baylor game comes to mind for that one. Yeah, I remember that. That was that was brutally bad for OU. That might have been Bob Stoops' worst loss in his career. Um, but yeah, no. Without the that, Bedlam game a few weeks later, but yes, yeah, that that, was, that yeah, one that was, was that was bad. Too. Having me pull my hair out. Yeah, I was at both those games. That was that was really bad. But yeah, no, I think I think he's definitely. I think he's just more comfortable with these guys, and I think he also knows that they've got to be better this year. Um, I think he obviously hears as much as he says he doesn't pay attention he obviously hears all the noise about you know his defense and and them underperforming and maybe of costing them a national championship last year um and so i think he knows he has to be better and and i think um he's showing that so far by just being super aggressive i mean they're blitzing way more than they were last year i mean how many tackles for loss did they have um on saturday 12, like, 12, uh, 12 on saturday and six sacks i mean they're on pace to probably already double it that they had last year so that's and again i also don't think they faced two good offensive lines um, and i don't think they will again on saturday either um so i don't know when they'll have that first true test with a good offensive line but so far they've been impressive um, and i think we have to give mike stoops credit for that all right george ames can be a weird place for teams to come into what's your concern level heading into uh, this weekend Oh, I mean, I, I think OU's going to blow him out. Um, I, I, I th especially if the, the Kim kid's not playing. Um, I mean, he kind of he, – he tore up OU last year. I, this, this OU team, despite losing Rodney, they seem to have a chip on their shoulders, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, everything we've heard from guys like Curtis Bolton and Justin Burrells is that they want to change the culture. And, and I think we do hear that every year. But I think so far they've showed that they actually do. I mean, there's a lot of – when I say there's a – you know, when I look at good defenses, um, and I said this on the franchise the other day, that, you know, I, I see a physical team and a team that talks a lot, and you have to back each other up on those, and this team talks a lot, um, and uh, they talk a lot of trash, and they're very physical, and so um, I, I think they're going to be able to slow down Iowa State, especially if the kid's not playing. I think, obviously, they have to control the running back, um, who's pretty good, but 
And then on offense, I, you know, obviously losing Rodney hurts, but they've got so many weapons. I mean, he can throw it out there to CeeDee Lamb, Marquise Brown. You know, you have still really four really good running backs and Trey Sermon, Marcellus Sutton, Kennedy Brooks, TJ Pledger, all those guys. And the, I mean, it also helps that your offensive line is just one of the best in the country. And I know they, they missed some miss some uh, plays on um, Saturday against UCLA in the run game, but the protection for Kyler, when you give a guy like Kyler who can run the ball and then just zip it in there, I mean, when you give that kid time, I mean, he's just going to pick you apart. So, uh, yeah, I think I picked OU to win like 48 or 45 to like 17 or something. So That was actually my prediction as well, 45-17. That's we're on the same wavelength, George. Just, That's incredible. Yeah, I just I just don't think and, and you know, Iowa State didn't impress me last week against Iowa. They couldn't score and um I just and OU's defense has played well. I think OU gets a couple turnovers. But again, you know, you go on the road, you play in a place like Iowa, I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll uh fill up that stadium and you turn the ball over or something crazy happens. Anything can go the other way. So um I think they have to be careful, but I mean I wouldn't say my concern level's that high. I think oh, you might just blow them out. I tend to agree with you. I mean, even though they're going against the defense that sort of limits the big play potential, I mean, I, I think OU, a, a pissed-off OU is a dangerous OU, and we're going to see a pissed-off OU out for revenge this week. So I'm pretty confident as well. But anyway, you've been with the Daily for quite a while, pretty much your entire you know time at OU, I would assume, pretty close to it at least. Yeah, I... Uh... I didn't work freshman year. I didn't do anything. I was just one of those. I just went out a lot and had a good time. And then I, by the end of freshman year, I was like, man, I should probably figure out what I want to do in life. And so I, uh, it I, took I, me to my you, senior year. Yeah, to say, that out, it, 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 I'm still figuring that out, George. So you're, I, you're good. Uh, yeah. So I, I applied for the daily and then, uh, they Spencer Davis, um, who I think you guys know, uh, uh, took a chance on me and I covered women's soccer, then women's basketball, then got picked to cover football. So I, been covering OU stuff for three years now. This is my third year, so uh, I guess quite a while. Well, anyways, being in that position, and you you were a beat writer for a while as well, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, right. you've been around the Big 12, and you've interacted with fans all over. You've been to each college town, so, you know, Iowa State fans, they're known for being pretty good fans for, you know, primarily for basketball, but also for football. They're just, you know, generally nice people but in your experience which big 12 fan base other than OU is your favorite oh man that is a tough question um and I tried to think of one uh definitely not Oklahoma State I think they're uh I think they just top on the bandwagon whenever their teams are good um I have to give Texas credit as much as OU fans will hate this they're very consistent in every year thinking that they're going to be really good. So you have to give them credit for being confident. Um, that's always, that's always a plus. You got to be confident. I will say when, when I went to Allen to the Allen field house last year to cover, um, OU Kansas, which went very poorly for OU. It um, did. I was there as well. Yeah, it was, uh, it was bad. Pretty, was bad. pretty bloody. <laughs> I, I wrote like a 500 word column basically saying this team does not try hard. And I'm sure it, it, I mean, it was, it was bad, but anyways, I will have to say, that atmosphere was awesome. Um, now their football game, terrible, obviously, but their their student section for basketball games is ridiculous. I mean, it's awesome. Um, I've never been to Ames, so I'm actually looking forward to that because I'd probably actually have to say Iowa State. From the few interactions I've had with Iowa State fans, is one they're just always 
very loyal. No matter how good their football team is, no matter how good their basketball team is, they're very loyal in their team. Um, and so I'd have to probably go with them. I think Texas Tech is – they're weird, um, almost kind of like a cult. Um, and so I, I, I don't know if I like Texas Tech. Uh, Baylor obviously sucks. Um, I, I can't imagine growing up a Baylor fan. Um, that's just I mean, yeah, when they had their little come up under Bryles, I mean, they were insufferable from, I'd say, I guess, 2011 to 2015 or 16. So I'm they're right there with you. They were awful. I mean, they're still backing that yeah. guy. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, I'm forgetting somebody. Kansas State. Kansas State's okay. They're kind of, I mean, I don't know. They're just average. Uh, they're football. If, if they're your football. school ends in state, there's a good chance that you have a bit of an inferiority complex. And Kansas State, you know, <laughs> that so definitely true. shows with them. Um, who am I forgetting? I feel like I'm forgetting. Oh, TCU. Uh, TCU is just a bunch of rich kids. Um, and I don't know if I. I mean, TCU is okay, but I mean, like, even when OU goes, they probably won't fill that stadium. Um, It'll, it's usually like half OU fans in that place right, when OU plays right. there. And so uh, I probably have to go with Iowa State. I think Iowa State does a really good job of always supporting the team. And that's probably because there's nothing to do in Iowa. And so they're just like, oh, I guess we'll cheer for this school. And so um, I, I'd probably have to go with Iowa State. And, and it'll be interesting to see because I heard Ames is just an awesome college town. It's very underrated. Um, so I'm, it I'm, is. I'm, I've been I'm, there before. It's beautiful. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. But I'll roll with Iowa State for now. On that note, and you've mentioned you've never been to Ames, but you have been to a lot of college towns in the Big 12. What was your favorite college town in the conference? Uh, definitely not Kansas State. There's nothing there. Um, I've actually not even Aggieville? I've heard that's kind of cool. Yeah. It was, I mean, I don't know. I, college town, I, I want, Texas has a great atmosphere, I will say. Sixth Street's awesome. Um, but I, it's not really a college town, I guess, since it's in Austin. Um Lawrence was okay. Um, I'd honestly, this is crazy, but I went to last summer when Bob Stoops retired. I drove to Milshu, um, Texas, to write a story on Lincoln and his hometown, and I actually stayed in Lubbock. Um, and of course, there's nothing out there. But when you get into to campus and the the scene around it, I, I mean, it was pretty cool. There's a lot of cool bars, um, a lot of places to hang out, and the people there are crazy, which just makes the atmosphere fun. Um, and so I, I think I'm going to roll with Lubbock, which is really weird and probably out there. Um, you but, were the um, first person that I've you know heard with you know give that response, but at the same time your rationale is pretty good, so I'll respect it. I mean, Waco's awful, so it can't be uh, it can't be Waco. <laughs> it is horrible, for sure. And then Texas is just ruled out. Um, I've been to Fort Worth. TCU is pretty good, um, but again, not really a college town since it's in Fort Worth. I think Norman's up there. I think Norman's a great college town. Um, I'd say it's in the top half of the Big 12 for sure. Honestly, I I think I'm going to go to Ames this weekend. I'm going to change it to Ames. I've just heard great things about Ames, so I I might have to switch it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a pure college town. But, George, are you ready for the rapid fire? Yeah, let's do it. I I really hope I I don't mess this up or or say something bad. But, uh, yeah, go ahead. That's part of the experience. (laughs) That's what makes this all very authentic. We'll we'll fix it in post. Don't worry. (laughs) We won't fix it in post. No, we won't. George, what's your go-to order at Diamond Dogs? Wonder Boy. What's your favorite in-person moment on Owen Field? Oh, man. Um, 
I, I so I haven't missed a game since I, this isn't rapid fire. Damn it! Uh, Go for it. No, just, <laughs> just, just, let's just just roll with it. I haven't You're missed good. a home game since 2004, so I've been there for a lot. Um, favorite moment? I think, man, probably when Adrian Peterson had back to back long touchdown runs. I believe it was like 76 and 80 yards against Oklahoma State. Adrian Peterson. Was oh five, yeah, that was great. So that that game was pretty cool. All right, who's your favorite professor? Larry Steele. He was my English Comp 1 professor freshman year. Interesting. Give me your score prediction. I guess you already gave that, but give it again. Uh, 45-17. Okay, it's set in stone. All right. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Um, probably um, 100 of the horse or the duck-sized horses because they're not very That's big. the correct choice. Big. You can just kick them. Yeah, yeah. You don't think they're going to overwhelm you? No, I don't get overwhelmed. I don't Their get hooves would probably hit you in the shin, so that would kind of yeah. suck, but... I've never been overwhelmed in my entire life. I hope I'm never... I hope <laughs> not, none of us are ever, ever in a scenario where we have to deal with that or, like, somehow choose between those two. I feel like horses aren't that scary either, so, like... Or ducks, for that matter. But they are... <laughs> in, in this hypothetical scenario, they this is a fight, so they are trying to fight you. So well, that's one well, thing to keep in mind. I've never lost a fight. I've also never okay, been fair enough. <laughs> Book that too. Hey, I actually just had one more for you. Um, you wrote about Shane Beamer. Uh, we were recording on the day you filed it, September 12th, Wednesday, uh, on OUDaily.com if you want to look this story up. Shane Beamer, we've obviously seen his influence on special teams for OU so far, uh, but it was interesting. You know, you, you quote Lincoln Riley in here in that you think that he is not very long uh, for Norman, meaning that he may have a head coach job sometime. Uh, maybe explain to listeners um, what, how you feel about Shane Beamer's potential to be a head coach someday. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had no plans on writing a Shane Beamer profile to the first time I talked to him, which was the Monday after the Florida Atlantic game. And w- for you guys that, that don't know, is, is when they come in and like they talk to the media, assistant coaches are very usually short and they just want to get out of there. They don't. They don't. You know, stick around. Shane Beamer came in and talked to, talked for 15 minutes to everybody, and then afterwards he stayed around for 10 minutes apiece for three different reporters, myself included, um, to do one-on-one interviews. And to me, that that shows a lot. Uh, you look at Lincoln Riley; he's a great talker. Shane Beamer is very well spoken, um, and you can tell he's the type of leader he is. And then you see the the type of results that OU's having on the field. He obviously knows what he's doing. Um, and, and, and again, his, and I wrote about this in the thing, is obviously his last name helps him, um, but he's also one to create his own path. And, you know, he's young, he's 41. Um, I, I think he'll get an opportunity eventually. From everybody I've talked to, like Philip Fulmer, his dad, Frank Beamer, um, his wife, it's his goal. I mean, he wants to be a head coach one day. I, I believe every coach probably wants to be a head coach one day. And, and the way he's, he's going and he's gone to – you know, he's been at Tennessee, South Carolina under Steve Spurrier, uh, Georgia Tech and George O'Leary. Um, you know, he goes to Georgia and uh, with Kirby Smart, and now he's at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley, who's, you know, one of the best offensive minds in college football. I think it's like he's taking these bits and pieces from everywhere he goes to build his resume up and say, look, I can do all these different things. And one day I think somebody will give him a head coaching position. And and um, obviously I know OU fans want Beamer to stay forever and – uh, you look at a guy like Beatenbow who's who's stuck around for such a long time, um, and even then it's like maybe six years, seven years. I can't remember when he was hired, but 
Um, I just see Beamer as a guy that he's going to get a shot one day. It's just a matter of when he's going to get that shot. Uh, I think his next position, he'll probably get hired as some sort of coordinator, maybe an offensive coordinator, which I get the feeling is the whole reason he came to Oklahoma is to learn, you know, you know, the best offensive practices and, and how to be a coordinator one day. Um, and then I think from there, he's going to be a head coach one day. I, I just, he's too good of a person um, and too good of a coach to not get the opportunity. I mean, people would be silly not to hire him. I mean, you look at a program, um, I, I don't want to say Kansas, but I'm going to say Kansas. Uh, Kansas would be smart to go get a guy like Shane Beamer. Um, he's a guy that I think can turn around the program. Uh, so I, I could definitely see him getting a head coaching job in the next five years. Shane Beamer to Kansas, on the record. That's <laughs> in be, stone. It would be interesting. I'm with you. I mean, I had never even considered the possibility, but like I said, reading your story um, on OUDaily.com, I kind of raised my eyebrow a little bit. Uh, and like I said, his his impact is already noticeable. So I think that's all we got for you, George. I uh, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, again, George Stoya is the sports editor. He's also a football writer for OU Daily. You can find his words on OUDaily.com. Highly recommend you do that. George, thanks for joining us today. All right, let's just jump right into this here. We are talking with Levi Stevenson uh, from WideRightNattyLight.com. That is the SB Nation Iowa State blog. Levi, how you doing? I am uh, delightful. I'm going to uh, crack open this. Oh, fuck yeah. This bush light right. Can I, can I swear on your pocket? You can swear yeah. all you want. Okay. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, we don't yeah. care. All right. It's bush latte. Mm-mm. But, yeah, ah. see, we, we were talking to you about this uh, off, uh, off mic, but... Uh, we think it's a little off brand that you're not drinking a natty light. What's the deal there? So the, 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 the natty light part of our name is not, it's not like some, it's not some temple to natural light beer. Uh, though we do, it is still a good quantity beer, a good tailgating beer, if you will. Absolutely. Um, it is actually because You've got natties for Patty around here for yeah, Patty Gasso, yeah. the oh, softball coach. Um, so the deal with natty light, as far as our name goes, is because when, uh, Larry Eustachy, I guess for any uh, Sooner fans who don't know who Larry Eustachy is, he's... Or might not remember. Yeah, he was, a, he was the basketball coach at Iowa State, like uh, late eight, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, had basically the two two of the most successful teams of all time. Won the, actually won the regular season and conference uh, Big 12 championships. Or, sorry, regular season and tournament championships for the big 12 with Marcus Pfizer and Jamal Tinsley and all these really, really great players. He's very good coach. Um, but he was, uh, unceremoniously fired from Iowa state after he got caught partying with a bunch of co with a bunch of, uh, fraternity and sorority people after a game at Mizzou. Uh, so, and in, in this infamous photo that you can see where he's, uh, where he's dancing with a bunch of sorority girls, he is holding in plain view, a natural light beer. There you have it, wide right natty light. Yeah, it's actually well, anyway, featured it as part of our hundred things Cyclone fans need to forget before they die series. Those were outstanding, by the way. I, I read you. a lot of those. Those that was very well done. Yep, our uh, our magical misery tour through pain and agony. <laughs> that is outstanding. But, oh, okay. so good. All right, sorry. <laughs> Bush light is anyway. like water around here for any. Oklahomans that are not aware. 
It was I, this is a fun fact. In 2006, I think it's 2016 or 2015, I want to say, uh, Anheuser-Busch reported that they shipped 32.8 million gallons of Bush Light to Iowa, which is an eight-gallon pony keg for every man, woman, and child that lives here. I'm kind of surprised it's not more. But that's one beer. That's that's like a baby getting a pony keg. Like that's like like you come out of the hospital and they're like, here, here's here's your little teddy bear. Also, here's a case of Bush. So it's a uh, rite of passage. It is. It is a rite of passage. Like, like when you're like, you know, like when you're like a little kid, you're like, you know, like dad's having a beer on the porch, something like that. And you're like, what's that taste like? It's like, it's beer. It's nasty. You're like, oh, I try it anyways. Well, that beer is, is consistently bush light in Iowa. Like that's like, <laughs> that's the beer you try when you're like five years old and you're like, wow, this sucks. And then you like try it again when you're in college. You're like, wow, this is, I was a really dumb baby. This is great. I think <laughs> I think it might have been a Labatt Blue for me, oddly enough. But yeah. that is really that's, weird. That it, a little bit, yeah. But that's neither here nor there. But I feel like everyone's got that story, like where they tried beer when they were like four, and it was terrible. Yeah, terrible. absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, but now here I am having joined one on a Wednesday <laughs> evening. But anyway, we've got to switch the topic to you guys beating us in Norman last year. Oh, but anyway, oh. after it's grabbing like my favorite topic. <laughs> After grabbing a W in Norman last season, are Iowa State or uh, like to what degree of confidence uh, are the Iowa State fans right now, uh, or to what degree of like, never yeah, kind of messing up my yeah, I'm, I'm feeling how, I, how confident I, I, are Iowa State fans this time around? Well, um, it's a good question because it's an inter- it's interesting timing too because. If you were if you were asking me this question like a week and a half ago, and we had gotten to play South Dakota State, um, I would say that we would like if we were entering a room, you would see our uh, nether regions. You'd see our dick coming through the door before we ever got in there, and uh, so that's that's kind of where we're at right now. Because, <laughs> admittedly, as 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 a uh, our hundred things you need to forget before you die series clearly illustrated our football team has been bad for a long time. It's been a good, like three times ever. And the first, like the last time was like the fifties. And, uh, so we're pretty cocky on it right now. Honestly, it's probably, I'm sure everyone's probably getting tired of it at this point. Cause this is like the first time we ever got to be cocky. And, uh, so I, right now, I mean, but then the the interesting timing part of that is with the game and with the game against Iowa last week was uh, it was frustrating to watch on oh god sorry <laughs> <laughs> and we're leaving that in by the way yeah absolutely oh, absolutely yes um Gabby <laughs> on brand anyways so we you'll play against Iowa last week and that is uh not an offensive juggernaut I would say is a is a good way to describe it. Now they they can they can run the ball. They, their zone running scheme is outstanding. Like it's on par with Wisconsin and any of well, pretty much just Big Ten teams really because they're the only teams that do it. But um, and their offensive line consistently puts out NFL talent. So that's that's something that Iowa will be able to do until the heat death of the sun. Like they'll just they'll just be able to run. They'll just they start every single game with stretch left. That's just what they do. Everybody knows what they do, and they still get four yards on it. And uh, so that's what they do. They still can't really throw the ball. Nate Stanley is an okay quarterback. Colin Coward thinks he's Jesus. I don't know. Nobody knows what's going on. And we they, don't pay attention to him around here. See, we do because he hates Iowa. And that's why we pay attention to Colin Coward. 
Actually, it's funny because we wrote a we wrote a well, actually, I wrote a satire piece on him. Is right after he said that Nate Stanley was like might be the best quarterback in the country. We 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 wrote a big satire piece <clears throat> called like Callan Coward arrested for accepting fake ID, and, so, <laughs> and it actually it was funny because it like that would that was the second satire piece that I've written that actually made it onto the Yahoo front page. So there, because I don't know if Yahoo just doesn't read articles. Because like. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody that's ever like read our satire, if you go like three sentences into it, it is blatantly not real. Like it is so fake. It's 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 really obvious. Like all you have to do, the the, the headlines are intentionally misleading. Obviously, it's satire. Or but we go that if you read if you like read the first three sentences of it, you can tell it's not satire. Also, if you look at the top of the page, it says this is satire, which means it isn't real. That's the tag of the article. But it was funny because. The first article that I had uh, make it onto the Yahoo front page was uh, was the was an article that said like Fred Hoiberg is leaving the Chicago Bulls to go coach the Hilton Magic Legends uh, TBT team, and Yahoo picked it up front page and, <laughs> and and they went and they went in there. If you like go into their article, they they only put in the first like paragraph and a half of the of the satire piece, which. If you read it, sounds like a real story. So if you didn't if you didn't click to go to the rest of the art to read the full article on our site, you probably would never know that it was a satire piece. I don't know if that was intentional by Yahoo. If it was, good on you guys because that was you just punked all of your readers and it was fantastic. But you should have seen it because there was so many Chicago Bulls fans. Because I don't know if you know this or not. I hope there's Bulls fans listening because they are dumb as hell. Chicago <laughs> are so dumb. They know nothing about basketball and which is funny because they they're fans of historically, like probably the third greatest NBA franchise ever. And they don't know anything. They know nothing about basketball. So they see on the Twitter timeline, they see Fred Hoiberg's leaving the bulls and they're all like, Oh my God. Yeah. They're like partying out there. And then they're like, please tell me this is real. Please tell me this is real. And then we'd always quote to you with, with well, we have, some news for you that is not real and you should like i don't know if you like i don't know if you guys ever had like a pet but it's like if you're if you're like your kid walks in and they and your golden retriever died and you walk in and you tell them that it went to the big farm in the sky so it can run around and you you're like you think the child's console but really they're dying inside it's like that it's like a lot of that like i killed the chicago bulls puppy well, yeah. now I'm sad. <laughs> now you know what it good, feels like to good be a Good job, Levi. <laughs> so anyways, um, that was a big... We need to loop back around to what the original question was. Oh, okay. So anyways, uh, as far as how good we're feeling, honestly, as as an overall general feeling around the program, it's probably never been better. In the history of Iowa State football, we've probably never been this confident. Because um, the defense... I don't, I don't know if you guys watched the Iowa State game. Watched El Asico. Um, unfortunately, uh, what do you mean? Unfortunately, it was a tough game to watch, man. That was boring. Oh man. All right. So anyways, it's, it's our rivalry and we can cry if we want to. So (laughs) we're sitting in that game. If you, if you watch that, the defense, our defense looked extremely good. Uh, it's a defense that in previous years has, has been okay at stopping the pass, but we've never been able to stop the run particularly effectively. Fast forward 2017, uh, to last season, we do actually a pretty good job of stopping the run, even behind a three-man front. 
So then against Iowa, we get real ballsy and we run in there with a three, three, five stack against Iowa's zone running scheme out of the I formation. Cause it's 1982 and uh, it works. We hold Iowa to 2.8 yards a carry, which is really good for, for any to hold any team to 2.8 yards. A carry is really good, but especially a team that is as proficient at running the football as Iowa is. There's no reason not feel extremely good about that. Um, and that was behind that was basically probably 80% of that was three to three down linemen and our true freshman middle linebacker, Mike Rose, who apparently is like the third best player on a really good defense. He is, he he impressed everybody. Like, I don't like, I'm pretty sure he's going to get some reps at quarterback because we're just all about the, the middle linebacker to quarterback deal here. So like if, like if Kyle Kemp goes down, like if Kyle can't can't play this weekend and Zeb Nolan goes down, Mike Rose is going to get reps at quarterback. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure they're just assumed that quarterbacks are middle and middle linebackers are just interchangeable at this point. (laughs) So that's our next question. You're pretty confident it's going to be Zeb Nolan starting at QB. Um, I don't know if I'm saying like I'm pretty confident. It's it's really hard because it's kind of a 50-50 thing right now because I know because Kyle Kemp's thing was like he just kind of tweaked his knee a little bit. It didn't didn't tear. There's no structural damage or any of that. And they, they're calling him day to day. But it is a knee. So it's hard to say. And I know the staff feels really good about Zeb Nolan. Anytime that Zeb Nolan has played, he's played really well. He came in uh, at spot duty in Oklahoma State against the, uh, against Oklahoma State last fall. Ooh, when Kyle Kemp went uh, went down the second quarter, played very, very well, played the entire game against Baylor the next week, played very well. And when he came in for the last half of the fourth quarter against Iowa, he looked really good. Uh, the dude's got an absolute cannon. You know, he's he's kind of a he's kind of an inverse of Kyle Kemp where he's more of a he's more of a gunslinger with a big arm. Whereas Kyle Kemp is is Alex Smith without the running ability or he's old. He's he's old Peyton Manning. That's what we called him last year. He's just old Peyton Manning. 38-year-old Peyton Manning, which is it's good because he's Peyton Manning, but he's also 30 years old and broken. But, you know, if I had to just, if I was a, if I had, if I was forced to make a call, I would say Zeb probably gets a start because I know they feel good about him. Um, Kyle's going to want to get out there, but I know he will, he will be, I, he won't be happy about not playing, but he'll be, he'll be, he'll be able to make peace with it. Uh, knowing that Zeb's out there, they're all good friends. Um and I think the staff, because I think they're going to treat this game as we might as well go out and give it our best shot. Um, not because they don't think they can win, because I think they now believe that they can win. Um, but I, I think they're going to go. I think they'll probably go as Zeb, just because they don't want to test. They don't want to like put Kyle in a position where he could actually cause legitimate structural damage to that knee. Um, and if he's already not like a super mobile quarterback to begin with, and if you, if you injured a, a not super mobile quarterback's knee makes him pretty much just a statue in the pocket. And, it, and that's, that makes him vulnerable for more knee injuries. Um, so I, my, if I had to take a guess, I would say Zeb probably gets a start, but I guess it wouldn't shock me a ton if Kyle gets a start based on what his day-to-day prospects look like. Like, I don't think they would, I don't think they would start as 70% Kyle Kemp over, over a hundred percent Zeb Noland. I don't think they would. I think they would take the 100% Zeb Noland. Okay, gotcha. Well, sticking with the offense, you know, Alan Lazard yep. was, you know, obviously a fantastic receiver at Iowa State. He's gone, but they've got this Hakeem Butler guy. He's six foot six, very athletic. He seems primed to step into those big shoes. Uh, what makes him so special as a receiver? 
And who are some of the other targets that we should know about? Well, what makes him so special is that he's six six, and he'll probably run a four four at the combine whenever. He, it's either at, at if he leaves after this year or after his senior year. It wouldn't shock me even a little bit if he ran very close to a four four forty at six foot six. The guy is an unbelievable athletic specimen. Uh, he's got. Uh, did you guys? I don't know if you guys saw his long catch against Baylor last year, but he made uh, got one of the best catches I've ever seen. He basically ran a deep post. Caught it with one hand with a Baylor dude draped on him, shook it like in, you know, caught it with one hand, shook the guy off, shook off another tackler, and then ran in the end zone. If you if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend finding a video clip of just Akeem Butler's touchdown catch against Baylor last year. Is one of the most unbelievable plays I've ever seen. So he's got he's got the uh, he's got the hands to make those. Now he needs to show uh, some chops in the as far as short and medium and medium route running, uh, as far as make it consistently making the easy catches. Cause one uh, last week he did make a, he did drop a pass that was probably that he sh- probably should have caught. It, was, it hit him right in the numbers and he just didn't catch it. Um, so that's that there's some maturation process process that's going to have to happen because he is extremely talented, but he hasn't necessarily had to lead a, a lead a receiver room yet. Um, and he, and he's been mainly used as a deep threat. I mean, Last year, last year, his his primary role in the offense was the Hakeem Butler touchdown play, where we just ran him off of, where we basically lined him up in the slot, or it's kind of just like an off, like just kind of an off tight end spot, where some some poor linebacker had to try to cover Hakeem Butler, and that just didn't work out for them like ever. Um, so now he's got to transition to being an outside receiver, to being a number one target, and to having basically having a big target on his back from the the, the other team's best defender, probably. Um, so he's got he's got some growing up to do. Um, now, as far as the rest of the receivers go, we still have Deshante Jones back. He uh, caught six touchdowns as a freshman. He didn't catch any touchdowns last year, but was but he, uh, I would attribute that largely to the fact that there was just so many receivers to distribute the ball around to. Um, in the not football game against South Dakota State, uh, the like on the fourth play of the game, he took a bubble screen fifty five yards to the house after basically ducking under a defender. Um, coaches have been raving that he's faster and stronger than he's ever been. Cause he actually, uh, really kind of focused in on his diet in the off season and, and really focused on making his body as good as, as good as it can be. Um, which is a which is a great sign. Cause he's always been a great playmaker, uh, very fat, very quick guy, very agile guy. He'll be, he'll be extremely useful out of the slot and in, in, in bubble screen situations. Um, Couple more guys. Matt Eaton comes back. He's six, four, another one of the Iowa state trees that they keep trotting out there. Uh, at wide receiver, he'll be kind of he'll be basically across the field from Akeem Butler, but you'll see him line up in the slot too. Uh, he's very much the the deep threat or a red zone threat kind of guy. Um, very similar. They'll use him very similarly to Alan Lazard. Now I'm not sure. I don't think he'll be the guy that they'll just like. If you need a third down and ten, you just kind of throw it in the general area of him, and he'll just come make a play like Alan Lazard, like you could with Alan Lazard. Um, I don't know if they'll, I don't think he'll assume that role necessarily, but he's that type of player, you know, big, good possession guy, good red zone threat. Um, two more, two kind of newer guys that didn't see the field much or at all last year that you definitely need to keep an eye on. Uh, one of them is Tariq Milton. Uh, this guy, he's a red shirt freshman. And, and the day he stepped on campus, he, but like the spring practice before his red shirt year, the the coaches immediately said like this dude is unbelievable. Um, they've ne- they have not stopped talking about Tariq Milton, his speed, his playmaking, and uh, I actually host a another podcast with uh, former Iowa State kicker Cole Netton, 
and former receiver Marchie Murdoch, who uh, Oklahoma fans may remember as far as catching a real nice bubble screen touchdown against you guys last year. Um, yeah, I, I still have nightmares about everything about that game. Yep. So yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> well, welcome to <laughs> welcome our entire to our football entire... history. Um, <laughs> this is this is our nightmare. Have fun. Um, so I so I but anyways, I host a podcast with Cole Denton and Mar- Mar- Marchie Murdoch, and we were talking a little bit over the summer about about the receiver room, just how there's a lot of people that think that if if they hit their potential, it could be better than last year, even without Alan Lazard. Um, and the first guy that Marching Murdoch, he always brings up Tariq Milton is like, this dude is unreal. Um, he'll be back to the returning punts. He's basically, he's our, he's our, he's our taller Cavante Turpin is what he is. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see if he is that kind of dynamic playmaker off just any time he touches the ball. But based on what we've seen so far, even in a small sample size, what we've seen so far is that he very much has that potential. He caught some really, he caught a couple really nice balls uh, out of the slot yesterday, kind of running a drag route across the middle of the field, about 12 to 18 yards downfield, kind of in that general area. Um, made some real nice catches. Looks very good. Um, he's uh, the, he's not just a slot guy though, though. That's going to be just running crossing routes. I mean, he's got the speed that they've talked about him kind of being more of a vertical threat than even, than even a, like a, uh, a slot threat. So we'll, you'll see him. Uh, Landon Akers is another dude uh, that, that they, they've talked about him being one of the fastest receivers on the team. He's he'll be a vertical threat. You'll you'll probably see him on kick returns with Tariq Milton. Uh, that's another guy you'll you'll definitely want to keep an eye on Landon Akers, and you'll notice because he's the only white receiver on the football field. Um, so that's uh, he's a, he's a real gym rat. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of grit. <laughs> a lot of grit. Real gritty player. Um, so those yeah, I would say those those guys are definitely ones to keep an eye on. They may trot out. There's a chance, I suppose, they could trot out Sean Shaw. Uh, he's actually he's from Oklahoma, about six 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 seven receiver. He's definitely kind of the possession red zone threat type of guy. I don't know if we haven't seen him yet. He's probably he's going to be on a red shirt. I don't know if he'll they'll use one of his four uh, red shirt games in this one, but it, it's possible depending on what they what they need from him. Okay, so switching topics to the defense. As far as that group is concerned. What's been the, the key to the success since 2017? Uh, well, the primary key to success is the defensive line, and they are anchored by Ray Lima, who is probably, if he's not the best nose tackle in the conference, I would, I would like to find somebody that that is better than Ray Lima. And as far as interior defensive linemen, there's not very many that are better in, in, than him in the country. I mean, you got the guy, you got the guys from Clemson, you got a couple guys from from actually from Iowa that are pretty good, but I'm not sure. There's there's very few guys I would take over and let Ray Lima. He's basically the engine that makes that three man front go. Um, every single play he's getting at minimum two to, at minimum two uh, two linemen to block him. Sometimes he's even he sometimes he even eats up a triple team, uh, which has allowed Jaquan Bailey and will allow Enya Uwazarike. Uh, it's a it's a tough name. Enya Uwazarike. Um, those guys looked. Jaquan Bailey is on pace to be the all time sacks leader at Iowa State. Enya has been probably more impressive than Jaquan up to this point in the season. Um, he's the engine that makes that go. And as long as he continues to do what he does, Iowa State will continue to be able to use that 3-3-5 stack uh, to bring blitzes, bring edge rushers, bring delayed blitzes, uh, or if they want to, drop drop eight in coverage and make, and make, make someone sit in the – make Kyler Murray sit in the pocket and, and, uh, and dish around in the short and intermediate routes. 
so he's definitely the he's the anchor of the most of the the biggest reason for the defensive turnaround. Uh, Brian Peavy and DeAndre Payne make up probably the one of the best cornerback duos in the country. Um, they're extremely good. Ben, Brian Peavy is the was the highest rated defender returning to the Big Twelve per Pro Football Focus this year. Uh, DeAndre Payne is very good. Uh, the safeties are, are uh, we have a new safety that's replaced Kamari Cotton Moya, who uh, left after last year. His name is Greg Eisworth. He's a JUCO transfer, transfer by way of Ole Miss. And then I can't, I can't remember what uh, community college he went to. Um, but he threw, I mean, against Iowa, he played really well. The guy's a guy plays at hundred miles an hour all the time. He makes big hits. Uh, he's always, he's just always around the ball. He's going to be, he's going to be very good in run support and hopefully in, in, He's very promising, uh, very promising uh, in in the in the deep passing game as well. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, you know the the linebackers. Well, we mentioned Michael Rose, and you have Marshall Spears and Willie Harvey. Um, there's there's playmakers at every position, and they get that three three five has been excellent. They can they can disguise it a three three five. They can run to a four two six. Which if you're if you're a Madden player, that's a that's kind of a quarters type defense or it's well, I think it actually, they have a three, two, six, it's called a dollar, but a four, two, six, they'll run like a, as in like a nickel package. Um, they can, they can disguise that and run, bring blitzes from any which direction. There's a lot of very good blitzing linebackers on the roster. Uh, excuse me. I hate to do this to you. Uh, Matt Campbell has, has done an amazing job uh, putting Iowa State on the map. So I hate to ask this. What's up? I already know what question's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how how much longer? Am I All right, let's just in jump Ames right into this here. All right, so wait, if you if you this is another one, I, I highly encourage you to go watch the his his introductory press conference. He talks about the story about when Toledo played at Iowa State in 2014. Uh, he was waiting for the game to start and said, "You know what? I'm just going to walk around campus. I'm just going to walk around and see what's going on." And he walked around and saw the saw the stadium and saw the fans and all of this and was just absolutely just he just fell in love with the whole thing with the stadium with the fans with the tailgating with the, with the just the stadium atmosphere all of it he in in the facilities and everything he just fell in love with it and uh, at the time you think well he's just kind of blowing smoke up everybody's ass. But as you, but he's been consistently on that same message for two years now. That's a like, that's he. You can just tell he's he's an extraordinarily genuine person. And when he when he tells people that he, I mean he he didn't come here for the money. He didn't come here. Well, obviously he didn't come here for the money. He's like the ninth highest paid coach in the Big Twelve. But um, and hopefully Jamie Pollard will continue to open up the checkbook as as needed. Um, but. He he came here. I mean, what 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 coach says he came here because of the fans? Like people, like coaches move because there's tradition involved, or um, you know, there's a they're in a maybe they're like a Baylor where they're in a fertile recruiting ground, but they just haven't had you know they haven't had a good football program. Now this is like before Art Bryles or anything like that. Like there's some appeal to Baylor. There's not much history, but they're, they're in, they're pretty close to, they're in Texas. They're close to a lot of good recruits. So in theory, you could turn that program around in which Art Bryles did um, temporarily before it all came crashing down. Um, but Iowa State's not in a, it's not anywhere close to good recruits really. 
Um, there's a few good linemen recruits that come out of here every year, but that's about it. Um, so there's not, there's not, there's no tradition to come for. There's no recruits to come for. There's not a ton of money to come for or anything like that. And he came for the fans. He came because of the, of just the, the atmosphere, the attitude around Iowa state football, that everybody was, they're ready to win. The fans are already there waiting for it. And he just had to, just had to make it happen. And I mean, the guy, the guy doesn't have an agent. That's which is highly unusual. The guy, the guy negotiates his own contracts. If you're in it for the money, you don't negotiate your own contracts. You hire an agent to do that. Um, and he's, I mean, Tennessee came calling last year. Tennessee was looking at Matt Campbell. He basically told them to fuck off. He didn't even give him the time of day. He didn't take off. He didn't take a phone call from Tennessee. If you're probably the right call with Tennessee, probably, but I mean, they have all the tradition that, that in the world. They have money. They have recruits right there. I mean, there's there's a lot of good. There's a lot of reasons that you would go to Tennessee. Um, Absolutely. He didn't even take the phone call. At that point in time, for Matt Campbell, Iowa State's a better job than Tennessee, which that's that should say, that should tell you something because no other no other head coach in the country would think that way. He's in it because he likes the fans. He like he loves the facilities. He loves Jamie Pollard. Jamie, he actually in his contract, his buyout clause is actually it actually it changes should Jamie Pollard leave Iowa State. Now nobody's anticipating that. Hey, Jamie, we're pretty much anticipating Jamie Pollard's kind of a lifer, but his his buyout actually goes down if Jamie Pollard leaves, which means that he's in it because he you know because Jamie he loves Jamie Pollard. He loves everything about the whole university. So if Ohio State came calling or Notre Dame came calling, would we be worried? Yeah, we'd probably, we'd probably be nervous. Um, but if, let's say Tom Herman gets fired in a couple of years and Matt Campbell's still hanging around, Iowa State's up to, you know, winning eight games a season. I don't, I don't see any reason Campbell leaves to go to Texas. They're not, I mean, he's not, he's not going to leave for that. He's not, I mean, there's, there isn't really a program in the country that I can think of besides Ohio state or Notre Dame that he would just, that I would be genuinely worried of him leaving. And, and, you know, even, even with Ohio state and Notre Dame, I'm not sure that I'm not like <clears throat> Ohio state. I would be more worried than Notre Dame. Uh, if Notre Dame, if Brian Kelly gets fired after, after this season, after next season or whatever, uh, which Notre Dame looks like they're going to be pretty good. So who even knows if that's going to happen? Um, I'm still not super confident. Like I would, like I, I still feel pretty good that Matt Campbell would stick around because he's, he's very much he he likes to fin- finish what he started and stuff like that. And he he even he's been saying that you know from the beginning basically we're just getting started here. You know we got a lot to do and and, and you can tell that because he uh, we're actually in the process of kind of they're designing the project right now. They've already got funding secured for a 58 million dollar renovation. Of they're gonna build a basically a brand new locker room for the football team. They're renovating a whole bunch of different stuff. They're putting some new stuff. They're putting a big uh, uh, concourse walkway around the north side of the stadium that'll connect the two sides on the north side. Um, you know, they, he's getting facility upgrades. Jay Pollard's opening up the checkbook for him. I mean, and I know you're gonna. I know you. Maybe I, I would curious to see what your reaction is to this, or if you'll just kind of scoff at or blow it off as nothing. But the dude built a house in Ames, like right away. You don't I, don't. I don't know if you guys know anything about building a house. You don't build a house if you're not planning on staying, because building a house is an extremely stressful experience, and and it's magnified with the fact that he basically is. You know, he's 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 coaching during the fall, so he. You know, it's 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 even more stressful building a house because he's got to wait for he's got to get his family and he's got young kids. 
uh, all that. You don't build a house someplace if you're planning on leaving in a couple years. Uh, and maybe that's just reading into it. Maybe it's not. Um, but it kind of tells you the guy he is, though, that he showed up and he's like, you know, I'm I'm here. Like, we're, we're doing this. I think he's he seems genuinely committed that he wants to turn Iowa State into a perennial winner, like better. Like he wants he wants us to be better than like Kansas State, like he like Kansas State, you know, they don't recruit very well, but they somehow win six, seven, eight games every year. He wants us to be better than that. He wants us to be competing for Big 12 championships. And I mean, last year he damn near did it. All of our losses came by a combined 24 points. 24 points and a couple of those were on last second were on like last second touchdowns and just come ugh. every time I talk about the K-State game I just get angry so I'm not going to do it um, but you have that you have the Oklahoma State game you have West Virginia you have Texas I mean all those were in Iowa you know, we could have won all of those games they were all within reach in like with, with a couple more bounces our way Iowa State could have damn near run the table and so he's already there. The talent is is coming. The offensive line is still lagging behind because that's just that's the only position you can't fix quick. Like that's like one of the only position groups on the entire like on an entire football team that you just can't get a quick fix for. Quarterback sort of, but you can find you can find a JUCO that works. Uh, but like offensive linemen, JUCO offensive linemen just don't generally work that well because it just takes so long for them to get into the fold. Um, so the offensive lag- line is understandably lagging a little bit behind, but the talent's there everywhere else. And they're they're recruiting club. They're right now they're sitting out twenty thinking like twenty seventh. I want to say twenty seventh overall in the, in the country for the two thousand nineteen recruiting recruiting class so far. Uh, so I mean he's he's recruiting his ass off and has been since day one. You know, like I said, if if Ohio State if, if we we were we were kind of on pins and needles there for a little while during this Ohio during the Urban Meyer thing like about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Um. I don't, I don't know if any of us were like genuinely worried, but I mean, Urban Meyer is only what, 56 years old, 57 years old, something like that. Brian Kelly's like just a little bit younger than that, or maybe just maybe like a year older than that. So those guys still got another 10, 15, 20 years of coaching in them. If you're Bill Snyder, they got 40 years of coaching in them. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, you know, He's eternal. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's a mortal. He's a vampire. Vampire in every sense of the word, as he will live for. It's that Taco Bell, I think, that he eats every day. I think that's keeping him, you know, that's keeping him fresh. I don't even know. Whatever keeps Smeagol alive in the Lord of the Rings, that's what. <laughs> um, he's got the same hair. He does. He, yeah, and he's the problem. He's just like he like he writes nice letters and things, and I hate the guy, but I can't not hate. The, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I have like mixed feelings on Bill Snyder. That's kind of a weird that the Iowa State Kansas State rivalry relationship has kind of gotten weird the last year in part due to the game last year and a bunch of other stuff. We can go into that if you really want to. Um, so really to make a long, a really long winded answer short, none of us are super worried. Number, none, of us, none of us are really worried at all about Matt Campbell leaving anytime soon. Um, unless Ohio state or Notre Dame should, should open up in that case, we would be a little bit worried, but not super worried. So we, we think he's here for a while. With, and with with good evidence to support that conclusion, not just being delusional homers. Okay, well, speaking of fans, which that was a large part of the uh, topic you just covered, <laughs> but, you know, the fanfare surrounding the campus, you know, all the revelry around it, bars and stuff like that, 
that's something that OU fans are going to want to know about, the people who are traveling. Uh, what are the bars and restaurants you would recommend for OU fans? Where should OU fans go if they're wanting to shake their booty on Friday night before the game? All right, so on Friday night before the game, there's, I mean, Ames actually has a lot of good restaurants, a lot of good bars. Uh, if you're into the, if you want to go to like a college bar, Welch Avenue is your place. It's got, uh, it's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight or nine, eight or nine bars or something like that. Just off the top of my head. Um, it, depending on what you're looking for, if you're looking there's like outlaws, it's kind of a country bar. AJ's is the dance. It's like that kind of, it's that, it's that place. There's a couple of Irish pubs in there. Estas has really, really good tacos and they're just, that's just a good place. Kind of a cool sports bar to hang out to. Um, that's more of the college type scene. If you're into the craft beer and stuff like that, up like you go up on main street, there's, there's old Maine, there's London underground. There's lots of good bars up on main street that are kind of more of the, the, um, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I'd say the adult scene because you have to be 21 to drink, but like, uh, you know, the more the more classy scene, I guess you could call it, is up. But it's up on Main Street. Lots of lots of good like craft beer bars. There's a couple breweries up there. Old Main Brewing Company. Um, as far as restaurants go, uh, if you if you ask Fran for Schiller, it's all Hickory Park all the time. I mean, that's a good. It's a pretty good barbecue place. It's probably not. I mean. I mean, to be perfectly honest, it's probably not going to blow away any of you guys because you guys are used to having good barbecue down there. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, we we have good barbecue up here too, but it's just like that place. That place, as a barbecue joint goes, is like it's fine. They have they have like they have some good sandwiches and stuff like that. They have a ton of good ice cream. Ice cream is actually, I think, is one of the best features. They have like sixty different kinds of ice cream. It's crazy. Um, so that's that's a good place to go. There's uh. And do a shameless plug for a couple sponsors here, actually, for our for our live podcast. Go for it, man. We're uh, all about shameless plugs. Absolutely. Here. Uh, so Brick City Grill is up in the north side of Ames. That's a really great sports bar. They have awesome, awesome food. They got cheap beer, all that. I already mentioned Estas. Their tacos are really insane. They're really good. Um, and then we have there's another one. It's called Sapori Italiana. It's a it's an Italian restaurant. They do like a like wood fired pizza. And actually, the guy that owns it, he is the only. He's the only guy in the United States that is certified by the International Chefs Association as a master of Italian cuisine. He's the only one in the United States that holds that certification. And he owns it's like a wood fire pizza. They got they got a bunch of uh, traditional Italian dishes and desserts and stuff like that. He's actually I think I think he is actually from Italy uh, originally because when I, we were talking to him about kind of sponsoring the show. We actually didn't. We had talked to his son right away, partially because he kind of runs the social media and whatever. Um, but the, but the owner, his dad, was actually in Italy with like dealing with some with a family situation or something like that. So he actually like like his his family is all still in Italy. So he's um, yeah, the the food is excellent. Definitely worth trying out there. Um, up here, we are blessed with an with an extraordinarily good burrito joint burrito chain called Poncheros. I highly recommend it. If you think Chipotle is the best burrito, I'm about to, that Poncheros will you like he'll think you're eating a turd sandwich when you go to Chipotle after you eat Poncheros. I feel like that anyway when I go Well, to that's Chipotle. that's fair. That's fair because you may actually be eating a turd sandwich. But uh as far as a chain goes, Poncheros is good. Pepper Jack's has really good Philly cheesesteaks. Um there's lots of great lots of great. Those are the, you know that's a that's a nice long list that should uh, suffice you for a little while if you got if you need need some more suggestions, you can certainly uh, find us. We have a big Ames Visitors Guide um, on our website. There you go. All right, uh, one final one for you, Levi, I think. Uh, Want to give us a score prediction? How do you think this one's going to shake out? Uh, and finally, what's the key to Iowa State making a game out of this for the second straight year? Okay, we'll start with the key first. So the, the key 
to making this game and you know potentially winning. That's that's kind of the the tr- the, the kicker here too is now after after you beating you guys down in Norman last year and being competitive with everybody else and losing almost nothing, we're to the point now which is it's it's kind of an odd feeling that we feel like we can beat. There's no there's no like guaranteed loss in the schedule anymore. It used to always be like when we were in like in the old Big Twelve North, like you could pretty much pencil down Texas and Oklahoma's loss, Texas A&M is probably a loss, Nebraska is probably a loss. Um, and, uh, you know, I would say this weekend, the key definitely is, is I think they're going to have to, if, if they can limit Kyler Murray, li- limit his running ability and make him throw from the pocket. I think they, I think they're going to be, they're going to find some success. Uh, I think that three man front is, is, is built to stop a guy like that. You know, they got Ray Lima plugging up the middle. You got two very, very good edge rushers. They'll probably keep Mike Rose, uh, spied on Kyler Murray and they'll, my guess is they'll probably sit, they'll probably drop seven, eight back in coverage and make him beat him with his arm from the pocket. Not, not on the run, not any of that losing receivers downfield. They're going to make him, they're going to make him live in the five to 12 yard range and make him be patient. Just like they did last year for a, like uh, to be the Baker had some success, but you could tell he was getting antsy. Even like, even when there was no pressure, he felt like he needed to get out of the pocket because he just couldn't find anybody. Um, they did that to all sorts of quarterbacks last year. They did that with Will Greer. They did it. Uh, I'm trying to think. There was one other one we did. We did it to Kenny Hill. Made them sit down. Made them be patient in the in the short and intermediate passing game. And we'll we'll see if Kyler can do that. I think he has the certainly has the talent to do that. But we'll see. He hasn't really had to do that yet. Um, I would say it's gonna. The, our defense is a very big step up from the two that he's played so far. So we'll see what that looks like. And I think they'll they'll be. Per, I would say we'll be perfectly happy with sitting back in the three three five and letting Kyler Murray. Uh, force him to be patient from the pocket. If they can do that, I think they can limit the offense a little bit. Oklahoma's defense has obviously looked pretty good so far this year. They've been uh, much more aggressive on a much more aggressive defensive scheme. Um, I'll be curious to see if if they bring in Zeb Nolan. If Zeb Nolan starts, he like I said, he's kind of the gunslinger. He's got a big time arm, like big big time arm. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them. They'll they'll obviously they'll try to establish their own with Dave Montgomery, which they should. He's one of the best. He's arguably the best running back in the country. Um, and I and I think less arguably the best running back in the Big Twelve, especially now that Rodney Anderson is down. Um, they'll try to get the run going for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them try to really test that secondary deep. Uh, with with Hakeem Butler, with Matt Eaton, with Tariq Milton, and I think they'll and I think after last week they learned their lesson a little bit too. Is that they'll try to they'll try to ex- kind of expand it a little bit too. They'll tr- they'll try to run some bubble screens and really get that defense to spread out. And, and force Oklahoma to cover all the way out, be out outside the numbers, so that way they can open up some space for Dave Montgomery. So basically, this I think to to make a couple of long points short, there it's it's limiting Kyler Murray, forcing him to beat them from the pocket in the short to intermediate passing game. Um, and then on when Iowa State is on offense, it's using Dave a steady dose of Dave Montgomery to really control the tempo and limit possessions, because that's I mean that's what that's what Big Twelve scoring is is built on is the number of possessions. You know, they're I mean Oklahoma's scheme is very very good, so they're more efficient than pretty much anybody else. But one of the things that makes Big Twelve scoring as high as it is is because they've figured out kind of like like people did in basketball, where maximizing possessions is how you is is a better way to get more points than to try to necessarily be more efficient per se. Like they're, they're okay with a few incomplete passes here and there if they can get 40 on the next play. So if they can, if Iowa State can limit the number of times that often that the offense is on the field and have long off long drives on offense to let the defense get a break. Uh, I think, I think there's a good chance that they'll, I'm not, 
I think there's a very good chance. There's an extremely good chance they'll cover for sure. I think the point spreads at like 17 or something like that. I think there's a very good chance that they cover that. And if they can, if they can do those two, those two big things uh, to an extreme enough degree, I think there's, I think there's a chance they can take it. All right, Levi, are you ready for the rapid fire? Hell yeah. Let's do it. All right, let's hey, hold go. On, hold on, I got a little drink of bush latte. Go for it. Ah, done. Let's do this. All right. Who would win in a cage match, Larry Eustachie or Fred Hoiberg? Larry Eustachie. He's a fucking animal. <laughs> Describe Iowa fans in one word. Assholes. Yes or no to putting the bird back on your helmet? Depends on the bird. The cyclone bird. Mm, like the spinning tornado side? Yep, from the mm-hmm. early 2000s, late 90s. I, a modified version of that, yes. I don't want the tertiary blue, but I am in favor of that without the blue. If you could add two schools to the Big 12, who would you choose? Mm. I would say Houston and... Ooh, that's a good one. Another school. I would say... <laughs> that's Man... That's a really good question. Let's go with Louisville. Louisville. Actually, no, let's they, actually you know what? Let's go Cincinnati. Let's go Cincinnati. I like Cincinnati. Okay. Cincinnati. All right. All right. What's your final score prediction? Final score prediction. I'm gonna go uh I'm gonna give you two. I'm gonna give you the Homer score prediction. And I'm gonna say it's gonna be I'm gonna say it's gonna be something like 20 27 20. Because I think it'll be a little bit low scoring game. But if I would say wins, it's going to be a 27-20 game, rough, you know, roughly there. It's not going to be a super high-scoring game. If Oklahoma wins, we'll see. They could, it could be you know low 40s to high 20s, I think. So like if, if Oklahoma wins, it's a 42-27 type score, 28 type score. If I would say wins, it's like 28-20, 27-20. All right. Well, I think we'll just probably take the average of those and call it good. Maybe. Fair enough. So I would say right. cool. Uh, well, we are, we, any, any last thoughts? Uh, if you guys are, we'll, we'll uh, be doing actually, we did it last, we did it against South Dakota state for the tailgate there. Uh, we started a brand new, a live podcast. It's kind of our own version, our, our own audio only version of college game day. Basically we, we'd hosted directly from the wide right Natty light tailgate. Uh, we have, it's me and, and, uh, Matt, Cy Husker and Matias. We sit out there, we just drink beer and we, we talk about the cyclones and we talk about random shit. We do we do picks and all that. We have we'll have a celebrity guest picker and stuff like that. Now the celebrity is within Cyclone sphere, so you might not necessarily might not be a celebrity to you guys, but um, it's a lot lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with the last time. We kind of got to figure it figured out. So we'll be we'll be posting links to that uh, on Twitter and Facebook and on the on, and on the website as well. Um, we're gonna be starting that at seven thirty in the morning. So if you're looking for something to watch in the morning. Uh, and you don't feel like watching college game day, you should definitely take a listen in to our, our live podcast it's called Wide Right Natty Live. Excellent. So, yeah, definitely check that out. If you are a Sooner fan and up in names, and honestly, just check that out, oh, period. If you're if you're up in names, definitely stop by our tailgate. We're over in lot G7, which is kind of a, it's a grass lot that's on the east side of the stadium. You'll see us over there. we got a big flag up there that's got the big Wide Right Natty Light logo and everything on it. So if you're if you're a Sooner fan in the area and you feel like stopping by and having some beer with us, we'll have plenty of bouche latte and maybe a few Natty Lights available. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
Well, uh, we, we've been talking to Levi from Wide Right, Natty Light, Re- Levi Stevenson, that is, from Wide, Wide Right, Natty Light, if I can say that correctly. Absolutely. Uh, that is the Iowa State blog on the SB Nation network. Levi, appreciate your time tonight. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Let me swear a lot. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it to this point in the podcast, which, of course, you are. We're awesome like that. Uh, and, you know, we provide this to you every week, uh, totally free of cost. So the least you could do is give us a follow on SoundCloud, uh, and that will give you a notification every time we post one of these on SoundCloud. Um, and it'll make us look better. So Absolutely. We like to look good. Yes, we do like to look good. Um, and that's something that we always – we never, we are never not looking good. Uh, Jack, Iowa State game, 11 a.m. Saturday. Any uh, final thoughts? You want to give a score prediction? Uh, like I was saying earlier, you know, a pissed off OU is a dangerous OU. I'm going OU 45, Iowa State 17. The same prediction that George Stoya made. So, I'm going to say 42 to 28. I think that Iowa State is going to be able to muck it up just a little bit, uh, i.e. 42 is lower than what I would like to uh, give OU in terms of points. Uh, I, I, I do believe in what Levi said in terms of that Iowa State defense being for real. Uh, it's never easy to go in aims. I do think that last year is going to be on their mind a little bit and Jack is right a pissed off OU is a dangerous OU so I don't think they're going to be complacent like they were last year um, I do think that Iowa State is going to be able to put up resistance in a way that UCLA and FAU did not so uh, I'm going with 42 to 28 still I, not even necessarily I'm, I'm that hoping close. that doesn't happen I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to be stressed on Saturday I'm not gonna lie to you I, I'm liking these I mean, granted, we did have a bit of stress on Saturday with Rodney Anderson going down, I, so that kind of... I can't help but think that a little bit of adversity wouldn't hurt this team, though. You know what I, Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah, mean, for the, the Big future, 12 Conference oh, is yeah. just so down this year. I don't know if they're going to get that adversity. And steel sharpens steel. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, last year losing to Iowa State, that helped them work through some things, and I'm not sure that they would have put up as good of a performance against Georgia if they hadn't had some of that adversity earlier in the season. I'm not saying there is no adversity. I mean, Rodney Anderson is out. That's a team leader. That's yeah adversity. That's the definition of adversity right there. But I would like to see, as bad as it sounds, a little bit closer of a game. So at uh, some maybe point, maybe some, yeah. I mean, work it, through it, some it, stuff. I mean, that, it'll happen in the Texas close, you know Texas I mean? game probably. That yeah. always happens. Uh, you can kind of throw out what happened before that Red River rivalry game. So there you go. There you have it. Forty-five seventeen for Jack. Uh, Forty-two twenty-eight for me. Uh, my level of concern is about a f- three. I would say. Mine's a two, I would say. Yeah, so it's um, – look, I, I just can't help but think of last year. I mean, on the franchise uh, – by the way, we're recording this at the franchise studio, so shout-out to them. I mean, we start – you know, we do the all-day thing, and I don't think that they talked about Iowa State for more than 20 minutes total. That's, talked seems, about, that, that's surprising to me. Talked about everything else. Did not talk about a lot of Iowa State football because no one took them seriously, and that was, I mean, it, it, everybody looked foolish after that. Yeah. Everybody looked really, really foolish after that, and I don't think OU will look foolish again. So, uh, big plans this weekend? Outside of football, obviously. I am, tomorrow, midday, I'm actually flying out to the Bay Area to visit some friends out there, go to a concert. I'm seeing Langhorn Slim in oh, San Rafael. Like so, yeah, yeah, he's pretty cool. So, uh, that'll be fun. It's, it's at this venue. It's... Uh, I think I want to say it's owned by Bob Weir and Phil Lesh from the Dead. So I mean, and apparently they pop in sometimes, and I think John Mayer pops in sometimes. Who, obviously, he's affiliated with them through Dead and Company. But uh, 
yeah, pretty cool venue. And then Friday, don't know what I'm gonna, don't know what the hell I'm gonna do out there. Uh, probably do a little bit of blogging Friday morning, and then uh, at night probably have fun with my friends, uh, maybe in Berkeley or somewhere like that. Then Saturday, uh, gonna try to catch the uh, OU game, which I mean, obviously I will catch it, but I think we're gonna maybe watch it in Napa Valley. Which is kind of a weird setting to Hoity be watching. Toity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the reason for that is they have a uh, college football bar that opens at seven a.m. So nice. That's that's why that's happening. Are and you fit- legally allowed to drink anything other than wine in Napa Valley? Like, will they let you have a beer, or will you be arrested on? The see, spot? I've I've never had wine in a football context other seems than weird. other. See, oh, no, I have, but just I've never had any wine in that context other than boxed Franzia. Yeah, that's like about we, the only, like yeah. I'm not imagining that. you don't see people corking open bottles. Yeah, exactly. Tailgate. You know, I I, th- I think the last time I did that was the 2010 Big 12 championship game at Jerry World. We actually snuck a bag of Franzia into Jerry World because they weren't selling beer in the stadium, but only in like the club level at Jerry World for that game for whatever reason. Anyway, I think that's the last time that I've had wine in a football context, and I'm suspecting being in Napa that I probably will have a bit of wine during this game. So, you know, there you go. So it's going to be a very different game day feel. And then Sunday, we're going to go to a very bad NFL game watching the San Francisco 49ers and Detroit Lions. There's no such thing as a bad NFL game. I suppose you're right. But anyway, we actually get a Jimmy G bobblehead for entering. Good-looking guy. That's pretty neat. The bobblehead that you want. Pretty neat, you know, so – you know, and maybe, you know, we're getting a preview of the uh, stadium that OU will be playing in the national championship, Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara. That's where it is this year? It is. That's where it is this year. And, I, I, you know, you know, OU will probably go 7-5 and five just for me saying that and being cocky about yep. that. So. Knock on wood. You know, we'll see. Yeah, knock on wood. Then come back Monday and then get back to the blog grind and then record a pod with you on Wednesday. There we go. Well, I think that will just about do it for us today. Um, As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Definitely remember to subscribe on SoundCloud. Um, If you don't want to do that for whatever reason or if you don't have a SoundCloud account, we understand. Uh, You can always find our podcast at crimsonandcreammachine.com and on Twitter at ccmachine. So bookmark, follow, all of that stuff. Stay updated as soon as we post a podcast. For Jack Shields, I'm Matt Ravis. Thanks for listening to Oklahoma Breakdown. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.